Have you ever declined annual leave? If you have, then I'm sure you must have witnessed employee pushback, maybe even low morale in the workplace. Well, there is hope after all, because if you stick around, today I'm going to be discussing when you can and cannot decline leave and ways to set expectations so that you can better navigate declining annual leave requests. Welcome back to Lawlands. My name is Sanam and thank you so much for tuning in today. Well, annual leave requests, it's something that nobody wants to decline. Maybe some people out there. (laughs) But generally, the consensus is, look, we do want to give people their rest and recreation. But there are times, certain times of the year that maybe we're going through a busy period or maybe it's a first come, first serve basis. And some people might not get the leave that they want for that particular period. Today, I'm going to actually be talking about a particular case where this was tried and tested, and it's the landmark case from 2014. I'll also be talking about certain tips and tricks that I would suggest, and also seeing where employers have gotten it wrong in the past. But before we get into that, you know what time it is. It is Laughs with Lawlands, where I give you a dry joke in these episodes. Why did the bicycle ask for time off? It was too tired of the daily grind get it? Too tired? (laughs) Well, look, I'd never tell you that these jokes are going to be the most fantastic ones that you've ever heard, but they are definitely dry and I always deliver on the dryness, I believe. So today (laughs) we're going to be talking (laughs) about annual leave and declining annual leave. And like I said, it's never fun for anybody to decline annual leave. They don't want to do it. And the whole purpose behind annual leave, like with the bicycle, is getting away from that daily grind. It's about rest and relaxation and giving the employee an opportunity to take some time for themselves, for their family. But where things can go wrong is when an employee requests annual leave and this gets declined. And the best way for us to break it down is always to turn to the legislation first. And what we have here is Section 18 of the Holidays Act that we need to look at. Section 18 is all about taking of annual holidays. It sets out very clearly when an employee can take their annual holiday, for how long, all of that information. Very brief section, but it is quite hard hitting. The first one in that section or the first component is that an employer must allow an employee to take four weeks annual leave within 12 months after they become entitled to it. So what this means is that employees cannot have their annual leave withheld. They need to be provided with that four weeks of annual leave, especially once they become entitled to it after that 12 months. They have the next or the following year to take their annual leave if they choose to do so. The second component is if an employee wants, the employer must allow them to take at least two weeks of annual leave in one continuous period, meaning that you can't decline just because of the length of the leave. Because here it says that at least two weeks out of the four can be taken continuously. So keep that in mind, employers. That's one that doesn't come up too often, but I do believe that it's a very critical one to be thinking about because sometimes it may seem like, oh, we don't want to give this person two weeks off. We really need them in the workplace. But the Act actually allows for at least two weeks of continuous leave out of that four. And then the last bit which is probably the most applicable for us here in this conversation, is Section 18.4, where an employer must not unreasonably withhold consent to an employee's request to take annual holidays. All right, 
unreasonably withhold consent. Of course, as with anything, what does unreasonable mean? What is unreasonable? The legislation is saying unreasonable, but what is actually considered reasonable? Can I say that I've got my own leave that I've got to do? Can I say that I've got children to take care of? What is actually reasonable? This is where we turn to a specific case. Like I said, in 2014, there was an employment relations authority case that came out around this whole question of what is unreasonably withholding consent. And this has to do with Deersley and Encore Designer Seconds Limited. Now, Miss Deersley was an employee of the company, Encore Designer Seconds. And what happened here was that the company, let's call them Encore <laughs> to make it short, Encore emailed everyone in September saying that annual leave approval would be harder to do because the company needed to manage cash flow. So they were very upfront. They sent something out in September about annual leave being difficult to be taken. And at the same time, in that email, they also mentioned that they would not be able to grant any kind of holidays during the 27th of December all the way to the 3rd of January. And the reason for this, funnily enough, which is very different to what you would expect for reasoning, was because the owner was taking her first holiday in 10 years. Yes, you've heard that right. The owner, the employer, was taking their first holiday in 10 years, and that is why they were going to be declining leave between that period. So what happened here was that Miss Deersley asked for leave on the 31st of December because she needed to look after her son during New Year's Eve. Encore did not want to provide the leave, but they made an exception because out of good faith, they thought, look, we'll provide you at least with this day. Then Miss Deersley asked for leave on the 27th and the 30th. So not only has she asked for leave on the 31st, she has now had that approved and then gone, okay, what about the 27th and the 30th? This is where the company said, no, thank you very much. But uh, 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 we are declining the request because of our earlier comms that were sent out. We sent out an email clearly laying out the fact that we will not be providing leave during this period or accepting leave during this period. Ms. Deersley said, you guys need to go ahead and approve my leave or I am out of here. I am going to resign. And the company turned around and they made their decision. And that's when Ms. Deersley resigned and then claimed constructive dismissal, meaning that the situation at work was so bad that it caused her to resign. That's ultimately what that meant. Now, what do you think happened? I'll take a moment here. Do you think it was fair for the employer to prioritize their own leave over their employees? Uh, what about having this blackout period? Do you think that was fair to say that we won't be providing leave between this period and this period because of cash flow problems or that it's going to be a bit difficult to provide leave? Well, the authority came back and actually rejected Miss Deersley's claim. The authority actually rejected the employee's claim and found that Encore was not withholding consent. They were not being unreasonable. They were actually acting in good faith and they did the right thing. Now, you may be asking, okay, so what did we learn from this? What happened? What do we know from the case? We know that what the authority said was that an employer needs to have a genuine business reason. So the employer needs a commercial justification. And that would be cash flow issues, financial issues. Maybe there is an operational problem happening in the workplace. The owner was also said to have compelling reasons and they weren't required to cancel their own leave to accommodate for an employee. That was interesting, right? 
I would have thought here that absolutely the employer needs to clear away and, and make room for their employees. But no, the authority took a very different approach. And the best part of the situation was that Encore tried to offer alternatives saying, how about this date? What about this date? So at least they were trying to reach some sort of agreement with the employee. On top of that, the authority said that the communications that were sent out, that email, that was two to three months prior to anybody wanting leave. So they were fully aware, all of the employees, that this is something that would happen. And then we turn to good faith obligations. So there, there were two major good faith obligations that stood out to me. One was to work constructively and positively together. And that's where you would have a look at maybe alternatives that were provided to this employee. By doing that, the company is trying to constructively and positively work with this particular employee. The next good faith obligation that stood out to me was around giving each other relevant information ahead of time. Here, there were strict communications that were sent out about what particular days people couldn't take and the reason why, and they provided this up front. So providing reasoning will go a long way to make sure that employees are fully aware of the situation, to make sure that they fully understand what's going on, and it's not something where they're left in the dark. It's all part of that good faith requirement. So you can see here that when you're looking at this particular case, there were so many touch points that, that needed to be in the mix where we're looking at a genuine reason, whether that's a commercial justification, financial justification, the owner had reasons uh, that they needed to decline people's leave. They offered alternatives. They were very upfront in their communications and their reasoning, and they really tried to work with this particular employee. Now, how can you take all of that, bundle that all together and navigate this in your workplace? The key takeaway from this place is that clear communications are critical. You need to make sure that you are very clear and upfront about annual leave, the processes, and what is happening in the workplace. So I always recommend to everyone that you need to have a very clear leave policy. Now, what would go into that policy? Things like blackout periods. Maybe you're in a particular industry that has a huge uptake in business during summertime. And maybe there's a particular period like during Christmas and New Year where leave is just not possible. And you might want to do a first come first serve basis at times. So all of that would go into the leave policy. Then you might also have something in there around how leave should be applied for. I remember back in the Back in the Stone Ages, people would be applying for leave. Usually they would need to fill out a form that would go to maybe a manager or maybe the HR person. And then from there, they would approve or decline the leave and provide a copy to the employee. Nowadays, people are using payroll softwares. And maybe there is a particular way, if you're using a, a particular software, to apply through an app or through a, a web page. And that's what you need to clearly lay out to the employee that they need to apply on X, Y and Z. This could also be relating to timeframes as well. Maybe you, the employee needs to notify management two weeks prior to taking their leave. Or maybe they need to know what happens if leave isn't applied for correctly, that they may not get leave or not all leave will be approved. Maybe it's a first come first serve basis. So there's lots of different things that can go in there. It's solely up to you and how you handle your business. The messaging that I would say here is that make sure all employees are held to the same standard. They need to be equal here. And if you're going to have a policy, then it needs to be across the board. A common mistake that I actually see time and time again is having a policy, but then 
things going really well in the workplace. Maybe the policy stemmed from the fact that you had a difficult employee. They've since left. Everything's going great. And the employer doesn't really want to stick to the policy because things are all fine. Then all of a sudden, the employer wants to enforce it. It doesn't happen overnight because you will need to hold the employees to task, all of them across the board. And you can't just say, hey, we're now using this, even though it's been in place, we're now enforcing it. You will get a lot of employee pushback. What do I mean by employee pushback? I decided to do a little bit of searching on Reddit. Now, if you've never heard or been on Reddit before, it's basically the wild, wild web. And the way that I could describe it is imagine a place where everyone posts memes, shares thoughts and opinions, all while trying to solve world issues like what's the most superior pasta shape. <laughs> but in in on all honesty, there is some good information in there from at least what people are thinking and what their opinions are. And it gives you a general idea of what employees might be thinking. Same thing with HR professionals and employers. And I came across a particular thread, which was essentially a question with all these comments under there. It had 130 comments or more than 130 comments. So we're not talking about one or two people giving their opinion. It was a large pool of people just constantly going back and forth, talking about this particular question. And someone kicked off the conversation by asking about declining annual leave because they were dealing with a difficult situation in the workplace. This particular employee applied in February for leave to be taken in Easter during the Easter break. And then in April, closer towards the break, the company notified all employees that they weren't sure if everyone was going to get the time off that they had requested. So they didn't go back individually yet to each employee, but they were quite down to the wire. And they were telling people that, look, not everyone might get their leave approved. With only a few days left until this employee was meant to go on leave, the manager had not responded to the request and they were a bit left in the dark. Now, in terms of responses, the language was colourful, <laughs> to say the least. People felt very strongly, very, very strongly about this particular topic. And if I were to mention a lot of those comments, I would have to mark this episode as explicit. <laughs> Many people were suggesting that the employee should take the leave regardless and just resign. Exactly the situation that happened in that Deersley and Encore case. So people were absolutely on board with that idea and that approach. They were also saying the person should pretend that they were under the impression the leave had been approved and just go on the leave regardless. And some people even went so far to mention good faith requirements around communication and saying that this just wasn't on. One of the quotes that I extracted said this, It's my leave. I have the right to take it when I see fit. Assuming I've given reasonable notice, I'm not asking for permission. I'm notifying you of when I won't be coming back to work so that you can do something about it. That's it. Harsh, right? Harsh words coming from a person that's an employee. Now, this is why clear communication is really important because the general consensus here is this approach of, hey, if they don't give you your leave, then stuff it. Just leave. You can resign, go to the next place. And that's where I said in the beginning, this causes a lot of low morale in the workplace. Here, where I can see the issues, there was no leave policy. The employee did give sufficient notice. They gave well and truly one to two months notice of, of when they wanted to take that leave. But the company 
did not clearly communicate. And when they did send out the communications, it was so down to the wire right before everybody was going on Easter break that it wasn't fair and reasonable to do that. One of the areas that I wanted to quickly touch on was entitled versus accrued leave. So we've discussed this in the past before where after 12 months, that's when you become entitled to your leave. Up until that point, you're just accruing little by little, just little bits by bits. So what happens when the employee hasn't worked for you for 12 months yet? Because like I said earlier on, that section 18 says that employees are owed that four weeks leave once they become entitled to it. That's theirs. But what happens when they're accruing? They haven't hit the 12-month mark yet. Because they're not entitled to the leave, then you can give them annual leave in advance. That's essentially what it's called when you give them any part of that four weeks prior to that 12-month mark. This is not a requirement under the Act. So you do not need to give them annual leave in advance. It's at the discretion of the employer. But what this means in this particular case when it comes to declining annual leave is that technically you can give the employee some of that four-week entitlement earlier than that 12-month mark and any amount that they take, that will be subtracted from that four weeks. So if they take one week's worth of leave, then technically they have three weeks left when they hit that 12-month mark and pass it. But a lot of employers and a lot of payroll systems, commonly, they will go ahead and they will give the employee accrued leave and a lot of employers will go, oh, okay, the employee is entitled to 15.6 days or whatever comes up in in the payroll system. Technically, no. Under the Act, they are not entitled to it yet if they haven't worked that 12 months. So if you want to decline their leave, you can do that. But my warning here, if I could make one suggestion in this topic, it would be that you need to treat all employees the same. And if you generally allow employees to take their accrued leave within the first 12 months of employment then you should do that across the board. You shouldn't hold one employee to a different standard than another employee. So keep that in mind. If you have a system set up where the first year that somebody comes on board, they absolutely cannot take any kind of leave until they become entitled to it, then great. You can decline people's leave requests because of that. And you can make it very clear to them. But if you don't have anything like that in place and people are taking whatever they accrue as they're accruing it, throughout the first 12 months of their employment before they become entitled to it, then you need to stick with that. I know it's a bit of a, a bit of a weird one, but it is critical to make sure that you understand entitled leave versus accrued leave. And the fact that if you have a business that's operating where you don't allow people to take their accrued leave, only the leave when they become entitled to it, then you can absolutely decline people's leave requests on that basis. But like I said, you need to have that policy in place across the board and make that very, very clear. Well, that's it from me. I am just really grateful for everybody that is tuning in. Thank you so much. I love that people are reaching out about the podcast. I definitely am enjoying people's messages. So like I said in the last one, I don't bite please feel free to reach out. I love hearing from you. It makes my week, my month, my day. And it's just so fabulous to hear everybody that's out there that's actually listening and that I'm not just speaking into a microphone and there are actually people out there. So thank you so much, everyone. Please follow, please subscribe, tune in every week. It's a weekly podcast now and have a lovely day, night, evening, morning, and I'll see you in the next one, everyone. 